Uh, good morning, friends. So glad to have you join with us. Uh, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor of New Life Fellowship Church here in Queens, New York City. I understand there's some challenges on Facebook this morning, but many of you have made your way over to YouTube or on newlife.nyc slash live. So wherever you are joining from, it is a great uh, a joy to have you with us. At the end of our sermon here, uh, about 10 minutes after our service, we're going to have what we've been having throughout the course of this Advent season, a sermon discussion time. And so if you would like to uh, talk about the sermon, ask any questions that you might have that, of something that I said or maybe that I didn't get to say, for 30 minutes, uh, you figure around 11.45 to 12.15, uh, we'll have a sermon discussion time. You could find that link on our webpage on newlife.nyc slash live or on uh, YouTube and all that there. But it's going to be a good time of celebration. Additionally, I just want to say one more thing. You know, we typically have our Christmas Eve candlelight service. And I want to encourage you to uh, go to Michael's, go to Target, wherever you want to go this week, and pick up some candles if you don't already have some in your home. Uh, because we want to celebrate a candlelight service in our home as well, as we always do. And so uh, we might not be able to gather together to see uh, the, the flames lit up in the way that we typically do, uh, but we'll be able to light up our apartments, our homes uh, throughout Queens and throughout the New York City area. So make sure you pick up some candles this week as we prepare for our new life, our Christmas Eve candlelight service. Now we are in the fourth week of Advent and uh, we've been following the prophet Isaiah. And today we are going to uh, finish this series before we move on to something else as Christmas is uh, on its way here. But we're going to look at uh, Isaiah 7 and then we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1. There's a story in Matthew chapter 1 that's connected to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 7. So I'm going to read the, the passage in Isaiah first, Isaiah 7, 14, and then Matthew 1. And then we'll, uh, I'll, I'll preach a little bit here. So Matthew chapter, uh, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. That's what we see in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And this prophecy was fulfilled some 700 years later in Jesus Christ. Isaiah is the most quoted prophet in the New Testament, from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And so here's the, the Christmas story as we know it uh, of how this passage connects uh, with the gospel. And so it says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to, to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And here it is, that passage in Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, 
and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's pray. Lord, on this fourth Sunday of Advent, would you open up our hearts and our minds, wherever we're watching this from, wherever uh, in this city, in this nation, and throughout the world, speak to us now through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In the few years that I've been in my apartment building in Queens, I've met many different neighbors. One of the things that I typically do when I meet a new neighbor is I take out my phone, I I grab their name and maybe where they live, which apartment they live, so that the next time I see them, I'm able to call them by name and have a good conversation. I've met many neighbors over the course of these last few years, and they are just wonderful Queens people. But there's one neighbor in particular that has something of a reputation in our building. She's an older woman, a woman in her upper 70s, and she encounters many people in the lobby. She's often in the lobby of our building waiting, waiting in front of the elevator. And as she waits there, there's usually another resident who arrives waiting for the elevator. And without hesitation, she urgently asks them a question. And the question is, can you take me to my apartment? Can you take me to my apartment? And every person she asks this of ignores her. I noticed this happening a few times as I was walking out of the building And then one day, it was my turn. I noticed this Jewish woman, older woman, waiting in the lobby. I pressed a button, and when she noticed me, she began to ask me a series of questions. And the questions went something like this. Hello, do you live here? Which apartment do you live in? Do you like it? How many bedrooms? Can you take me to my apartment? And I answered all her questions and then said, I can't do it. About a week later, I saw her again at the same spot. She looked at me and said, hello, do you live here? Which apartment do you live in? How many bedrooms? Do you like it? Oh, can you take me to my apartment? And again, I said no. A few days later, I saw her a third time, this time around 10 p.m. at night. And here she was with a little bag waiting in front of the elevator. And as she was waiting by herself, she saw me again and began to ask me the same question she asked me two other times before. Hello, do you live here? Which apartment do you live in? How many bedrooms? Do you like it? Can you take me to my apartment? And this time... I said yes. While we were in the elevator, I began to ask her some questions. I asked her her name. And then I said, how long have you lived here? She said, about 50 years. I said, do you like it? She said, that's okay. And then I said, could you tell me why you ask people to take you to your apartment? And very simply, she said, Oh, I'm afraid of being in the elevator alone. I'd rather have someone with me. 
That made a lot of sense. And so every time I see her now in the lobby, I go, Renee, do you need me to take you to your apartment? And she goes, yes, that would be great. Thank you very much. She just wants someone to be with her. This Advent season and coming Christmas season reminds us that we are all like Renee, aren't we? We not, might not be afraid of going in an elevator, but all of us have our fears. All of us are carrying something. And sometimes you just want someone to be with you. And this Advent season and Christmas season reminds us that the story of God is a story of witness of a God who accompanies us on our journey, of a God who gets in the elevator with us, so to speak, and takes us to our apartment. When we think about what the gospel is, when we think about the central message of Christianity, there is a famous preacher named Will Willimon who was asked, what is the gospel in seven words or less? And this was his response to that question. What is the gospel? Simply this, God refuses to be God without us. God refuses to be God without us. Is God God without us? Of course God is God without us. Does God want to be God without us? Not a chance. The gospel is the message that God refuses to be God without us. God wants to be with us. Our passage today in the book of Isaiah is actually a very complicated passage. There's a lot of different geopolitical things happening in this passage. Isaiah 7 is set in a national crisis. And what you need to know for our purposes today, because it would take about 30 to 40 minutes to explain all of the craziness that's happening and the power plays and the kingdoms and the kings that are at war with each other. But the only thing you need to know at this point is that Isaiah the prophet is assuring the king of Judah in the midst of a national crisis, in the midst of, of a geopolitical crisis, crisis, that there's nothing to fear, that God is with him. And as an indicator that this deliverance is going to come, there will be a sign. And a sign is, is a token of God's promise, a token of God's promise to deliver. And, and Isaiah says there's a sign that's coming, which means you should not have fear. But here's the thing about this sign. It would be realized in one way uh, 700 years prior to Christ, but then it would be fully realized when Christ was born. He says the sign would very simply be this. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him, and here it is, Emmanuel. In Hebrew, it's one word. In English, it's three words. God with us. Isaiah tells this king of Judah, all you need to know in the midst of fear, in the midst of national crisis, is that God is with us. Here it is, the, the central truth that Isaiah was getting across, the central truth of Advent, the central truth of Christmas time, God with us. So what I want to do today is take apart these three words. Because in those three words, we find the most powerful message of Advent and in Christmas. And of really of Christianity. God with us. And I want to expound on each word. Beginning with the word God. God. Christmas begins with God. Advent is about God, and we need to be reminded about this on a regular basis. 
It's not about toys. It's not about gifts. It's not about us. It is about God. God has come near. The scandal of Christianity is that God comes, but the way God comes is very surprising. God comes not as a powerful ruler. God comes not as a wealthy, flashy king. God doesn't come as, a, as a, just a great teacher. God invades the earth as a baby. And when it comes to world dominance and, and people saving, the last person you would expect to be the sign of deliverance is a baby. Because we know how cute and unimpressive from a power and saving perspective, babies can be. Babies are known for four things, brothers and sisters. I don't want to get deep here, but this is where we're at. Babies are known for four things. Crying, eating, sleeping, and pooping. That's what infants do. Not impressive, but at Christmas time, we say a baby has come, an infant has come. But not just any infant. What makes this claim staggering is Christians say, God has come to be with us. In this child, in this baby, the billions of galaxies have been made. In this child, the highest mountain and the deepest sea has been created. And we confess that this God who comes in the form of a child through a virgin is the God of the universe. And if you think about that for more than just five seconds, it'll blow your mind. God has come to be with us. At Christmas, we don't say a great prophet has come. We don't say a marvelous leader has come. A marvelous teacher has come. A great man has come. All those things are true. But at Christmas time, we say God has come. And this changes everything. God is the first word of Advent. God is the first word of Christmas. But what about God? It's not just that God comes. It's that God comes to be with. And here we have the second word of Advent here in this passage of Isaiah and in this gospel passage in Matthew. God with. Advent is about yearning for the withness of God. Christmas is about the coming of God who wants to be with us. God takes on human flesh to be with us. And this is good news for us because this word gives us hope because our experiences often tell a different story. For many of us, it's hard to believe that God is with us. In the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of 300,000 people dying, in the midst of all kinds of pestilence and disease and, and all kinds of divisions among us, it's hard to imagine God with us. It's often the case that some of you watching right now, you're not seeing God with you. You might be experiencing or feeling God is against you. Maybe life hasn't unfolded in the way that you've wanted to. Maybe you've been filled with so much disappointment and grief. Maybe you have experienced crisis upon crisis, economic setbacks, physical challenges, and you conclude, God is not with me. It more feels like God is against me. Or if not God being against me, God apart from me. God apathetic towards me. God doesn't care about me. We've had to wrestle with this like never before. 
The level of anxiety coursing through our bodies, the level of anxiety coursing through our families, the level of challenge coursing through our city, our nation, and our world, sometimes it does feel like God is against us. Sometimes it does feel like God is apart from us. Sometimes it does feel like God is apathetic towards us, indifferent towards us, could care less about us. But Christmas reminds us that is not the message of Christianity. God is with us. Now, we've had to grow accustomed and grow accustomed to being apart from one another. And it's amazing how this apartness from one another tends to be projected onto God as well. Arguably, the two most spoken words in 2020 when put together are social distance. We have become so accustomed to those two words, social distance, because we've had to wrestle with being apart, not being able to shake hands and hug like we used to, not being able to be in close proximity without anxiety like we used to. Not being able to lay hands on one another as a sign of God's presence in their life like we used to. Not being able to grieve and lament during times of loss like we used to. We have felt the pain of being apart. And many of us have felt this way about God as well. Have you felt that this year? That God is apart from you, apathetic towards you, against you. This is what we might feel, but I'm here as the preacher this morning to remind you that Christmas announces something otherwise. That in Advent and in the coming Christmas season, there is no social distancing with God. It was St. Augustine who said that God is closer to us than we are to ourselves. And just hold that for a moment here. God is closer to us than we are to ourselves our very selves. There's never a moment where God is not moving towards the world in great love. God is always moving towards you in great love. Whether you're praying or not, reading your Bible or not, volunteering or not, giving of your money faithfully or not, God is always moving towards the world in great love. The question is whether we are going to receive it. I was thinking about the ways that God moved towards us this past week when I was in Target. I've been making a lot of Target runs these days. Shout out to my wife. Uh, and uh, Rosie will place an order, and I'll go to the pickup area at Target right here on Queens Boulevard, right here in Elmhurst, and uh, to, to pick up my stuff. And this past week, I, I'm in the pickup area. There's about maybe six or seven people ahead of me. And we have those, those little red circle social distancing markers where you stand on it. And when the line moves, you stand on the next circle. And you're a good citizen in that way. And so here I am standing on my circle and a little distracted with my phone and all that. And I noticed the person behind me seems a bit fidgety, seems a bit anxious, like she's late for something, like it's taking a long time, she has to be somewhere. And so in her fidgetiness, is that a word? Uh, in her, in her, as she's fidgeting and as she's just anxious, she's just absent-mindedly moving close to my circle. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I've been very, up, you know, just uh, keeping to these distances at the post office, at Target. If you're not on your circle and you're moving towards mine, I'm looking at you like, stay on your circle. Don't come near my circle. But in this moment, this woman is absentmindedly, I could tell, just moving closer to my circle. And then the next person would go, and I'd move over to the next circle. And she's still just anxiously moving towards where it wasn't six feet anymore. It was five feet, and then uh, four feet, and then uh, three feet, and about two feet, and I'd move again. And then she'd, again, just absentmindedly just kind of going back and forth. And, and, and I got to a point where I was going to say, ma'am. Could you stay on your circle? Somebody say amen in the chat section, all right? Could you stay in the circle? But by, by the time I was about to say that, it was my turn to go, and I said, thank God. And I was able just to, to go and, and handle my business. But, but when I thought about that woman in Target, as I was reflecting on a moment, I said, I, I think this is how God is in some way. God is always moving towards our circle, not with anxiety, not fidgeting, but with love with compassion, with grace, with mercy. There's never a moment when God is not moving towards your social distancing circle. And this is the good news of Advent, the good news of Christmas, that God is always moving towards us in love. For some of you, you might feel lonely and disconnected and you're wondering, where is God? Hear the word of the Lord spoken to you this day. God longs to be with you. God is closer to you than you are to yourself. God is moving towards the the world in great love. The story of the Bible is not about humans wanting to be close to God. The story of the Bible is about God's desire to be close to the world. And this is the good news of Christmas. The good news of Advent, that God draws near. And what's even more magnificent about this passage here is is that third word, us. God with us. The third word there is incredibly important and incredibly powerful. And when you understand this word, it makes those other two words stand out even more powerfully. Because God wants to be with us. Who is us? If, if we were righteous and sinless and, and, and perfect people, you would think, of course God wants to be with us. God is attracted to God's own kind. God is attracted to righteous, sinless, perfect people. But that's not the story of Christianity. The story of Christianity is that God is attracted to broken, sinful, irritable, cursing, self-righteous people. People who have their act together or not. God is attracted to the entire world and moves towards us in love. And so who is us? All of us. Whether you've been going to church or not, we, it is us. Whether you've been reading the Bible or not, this is us. Whether you've been praying or not, who is us? All of us. God moves towards the world in great love. This is the message of Advent that the world is longing for. And this is the message of Christmas found, fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ some 700 years after Isaiah prophesied this. Isaiah prophesies to the king of Judah and says, 
Don't fear God with us. I'm not sure if Isaiah knew that that word would be properly and fully fulfilled seven centuries later in a young couple surprised by God. In the Gospel of Matthew, that passage I read, we come across a young couple, a young girl named Mary and a young man named Joseph. Joseph, I imagine, falls head over heels for Mary because, of course, there is something about Mary. And these two lovebirds are engaged to be married. They were not a wealthy couple, but they had so much love for one another. And I imagine Joseph saving his pennies to try to buy Mary an engagement ring. He heads into Manhattan to press his face against the store at Tiffany's to see what he can afford and then realizes, I don't got this kind of money. So he goes to Queen Center Mall and, and, and finds, uh, you know, Jared's or whatever stores there. And he goes, yeah, I think this is, this is my budget right here. And, and he gets a, a, a ring for Mary. I imagine them preparing for the wedding. They're looking for a venue. They're looking for the best caterer money can buy. They're mailing out invitations to friends. They have their wedding website up with the, with the countdown going every single day. They're ready to be married. And when they take a break from all the wedding planning that needs to be done, they just sit with one another, uh, just imagining the future they're going to have, the family they're going to have, the, the, uh, the fun they're going to have, the memories they're going to make. And so in this moment of anticipation... Just like that, there's a surprise, there's an interruption, there's a prophecy that's about to come into fruition. One day while Mary is alone, an angel appears. Wedding invitations are probably all over the table, but the angel comes up to Mary and says, Mary, you are the most favored among all women. God is inviting you to play a significant part in the exciting, redemptive, most redemptive story in all of human history. You see, you're going to give birth to the Messiah, but this conception is going to happen in a different way. It's going to happen supernaturally. And in verse 18 in Matthew 1, it says that she would be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Imagine the conversation in the neighborhood. How'd you get pregnant? It was through the Holy Spirit. This makes for a good Mari Povich uh, episode here. What are you talking about, the Holy Spirit? And so here we are. This is the word that came out. Joseph hears that she's pregnant and knows there's only two options before him. Number one, people are going to think that Joseph and Mary had relations before they were supposed to have relations or someone else, what Joseph said, I wasn't even there. Someone else has been having these relationships with Mary. And so Joseph, being the good man that he is, he wanted to just put her away so that she did not have to bear the brunt of shame that would come her way from the village and from her neighbors. And in the moment of his own disorientation, his own fear, his own grief, an angel visits Joseph as well and says, Joseph, don't be afraid. This child that she's carrying is actually the Messiah. And this is happening because 
You're part of a larger story. There's something happening. In verse 22, it says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Joseph, don't be afraid. Something has happened. God with us. God with us. It was, the, it was the professor Peter Gomes at Harvard University who offers some great words about Emmanuel. He says, Emmanuel, God with us, is not just a translation of a Hebrew name, but a translation of the living, loving purpose of God to be present in and among his creation. God does not abandon that which he makes. He becomes one with us that we might become one with him, God with us. God with you. When I think about God being with us, there's a piece of artwork that comes to mind that I share from time to time at New Life. For those of you who are new, um, I want to share it again. In Michelangelo's work on the Sistine Chapel of God and Adam being depicted out of his own cultural context, we see this interesting juxtaposition, this wonderful contrast where Michelangelo depicts God, and you see the heart of God here, the heart of God moving towards Adam. And what we see is every muscle flexed in God's body, pointing to Adam, longing to reach out to Adam. But it's interesting to see Adam's response, and he's a little bit more difficult to interpret. Because while God in this image is stretching out to Adam. Adam is kind of like, yeah, whatever here. He's, he's, he's laid back. His arms are like, whatever. Yeah, I'll make the connection. And what, Mike, what Michelangelo seemed to have wanted to uh, express through this image is that God is relentlessly pursuing humanity. Whereas humanity is like, yeah, whatever. And that's the story of Christmas. The story of Christmas is not that humanity is reaching towards God. It's the story that God is reaching towards humanity. God longs to be with us. God longs to be with you. And wherever you find yourself on this fourth Sunday of Advent, as Christmas is approaching, whether you find yourself spiritually alive or spiritually dead, whether you find yourself with lots of energy or where you find yourself with low energy and you're depressed and you're having a hard time navigating through this world, God is with you. God longs to be with you. In your darkest moments, God is with you. In your highest moments, God is with you. God is the God who is always moving towards the world in love. I want to come back to what I started this message with. I mentioned as I started that all of us are like my dear neighbor, Renee. We all are carrying fears. We all are carrying moments of anxiety where we just want someone to be with us. And we don't want to go into that elevator. We don't want to take the next step forward, wherever it might be. And again, it might not be an elevator that you're afraid of, but what are you afraid of? Where do you need 
to sense God's witness. Wherever you're at today, open yourself to this God. Because what we find in Jesus is a God who always goes into that elevator with us and takes us where we long to be and long to go. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the gift of your word and the gift of those three words, God with us. In this Advent season, it's so easy to see our experiences and allow our experiences to determine your relationship to us. In a year that's been marked by so much suffering and pain, it's hard to see God with us, easy to see God against us, God apart from us, God apathetic towards us. But Lord, you remind us, as you did through Isaiah and did through the angel in Matthew, that you are the God who is with us. Now, Lord, give us the grace to open ourselves to you, to receive your love, forgiveness of sins, and a new life that you've promised. May we receive the gift of you being with us. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If you reflect on nothing this week, let it be those three words. There's nothing else that you reflect on. God with us. Wake up in the morning, God with us. When you watch the news and everything seems to say that this world is headed towards all the wrong places, no, God with us. When you get news about things happening in your workplace and you're wondering, how in the world am I going to make it? God with us. When there's even division among your family and you're wondering, is there any hope? God with us. One of the invitations of living this God with us message is that we are called to be people who are with one another. That's the expression. We give expression to this message by being with people and being the extension of God's presence with people. And so I want to invite you, first of all, uh, to be with one another. And at the beginning of January, we're going to start a series of sermons on community, what it means to be with one another, even as we're not gathering as we typically do. We're going to focus on that. But there are opportunities for you to still be connecting, to be with one another. At the end of the service, in about five to ten minutes after the service ends, there is a link on our website that you can go to to check out our sermon discussion. And so I'll be leading that time for about 30 minutes. You can feel free to share any questions you have about the sermon. Or if you just want to say, yeah, this is how God is coming to me today, feel free to join us there. You can click on the link there for the sermon discussion uh, that will begin in a few minutes. Additionally, if you need prayer, if you're thinking, I just need someone to pray for me, pray with me, I'm alone, I'm anxious, I don't know, it's been a hard year, I just need someone to pray with me, you can go to the prayer ministry area there as well, and we'd love to pray for you. 
And lastly, before I pray a prayer of blessing over you, for some of you today, you're watching maybe from a different part of this nation. Maybe you've never been to New Life Fellowship Church. But you want to start a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The word that the angel says says, he will save us from our sins. He will forgive us. And that's not just, okay, I'm forgiven. Woohoo, that's great. This is no, a new life is available to you. A new life marked by a joy that the world can't give and the world can't take away. A life marked by a peace that's so deep. A life marked by abundance of life. And so if you want to say yes to Christ, very simple, you can text yes to Jesus at that number. One of our pastors will be in touch with you. We'd love to help you get started on your journey. As we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven. Uh, if you're in your kitchen right now, stirring that coffee, put that coffee cup down, open your hands. Uh, if you're in your living room, if you're in your car uh, and you've been listening to this, uh, maybe pull over if you can and just open your hands as a sign of receiving blessing. As you know, the world is filled with cursing. The world is filled with so much negativity. We walk out of our online gathering receiving blessing, blessing in the name of Jesus. And so wherever you're at, open your hands and your hearts to receive. And with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you know on this fourth Sunday of Advent that God is with us. And may you live out that reality receiving his love. And may God lead you to be with people in ways that offer hope and healing and salvation. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the very present name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you all, friends. See you on Christmas Eve.